We have the opportunity now, if you would, to turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. We did an introductory message last Lord's Day, and now in earnest, we turn in our Bibles to chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul was a living embodiment of what is said about Jesus' apostles and their resolute determination in Acts 6-4, which says about the apostles and about their commitment, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. First, through 13 of his own New Testament letters and his utter commitment to the Old Testament scriptures, Paul saw the tangible value of learning and applying God's Word, first to his own life, of course, and then to those to whom he was ministering. God's Word was his very lifeblood. And secondly, Paul was also so completely devoted to prayer. It's all over his writings, all through them. And of course, you and I believe and know that prayer, in its simplest form, is just seeking to communicate with God, including talking to God about yourself and your life and What's more, praying to God for those you care about so deeply. Prayer and the ministry of the Word. These are called the chief means of grace. And it's for a good reason. They are the chief means of grace because it is by prayer and the ministry of the Word that God bestows lavishly His grace upon us. And they are, these chief means of grace, prayer and the ministry of the Word, two very prominent realities of the Christian life. And for Paul, for instance, in First and Second Thessalonians, prayer is seen as absolutely critical, crucial for the life of the church's fellowship and mission. You want to see how crucial prayer is to the Apostle Paul in just one New Testament book, just one, get ready for 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, just to add the second letter, are rife, replete with Paul's commitment to prayer. It's amazing. Look at chapter 1, verse 1, latter part of it. Here's a prayer wish of Paul, grace to you and peace. That's not just a statement of expectation of Paul to his readers. It's a prayer. It's a a prayer wish. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That means he's expressing to them in written form his prayer life. And he says, we thank God constantly for this that when you receive the Word of God, and here it's talking about both prayer and the ministry of the Word. When you receive the Word of God, 
which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There's prayer in the word in just one verse. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. That's a prayer of thanksgiving to God. Prayer is vital. Look at chapter 5. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. And when Paul was writing this, he was praying without ceasing. And not just verse 17, look at verse 18. This is a, this is a prayer as well. Give thanks in all circumstances. To whom? To God. Verse 23, Here's another prayer. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely or entirely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a prayer. Here's here's a prayer in the next verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now it's a statement of fact, of course, but it's also a prayer. And then look at verse 25, the very next verse. Brothers, pray for us. Do you think he thinks prayer is uh, somewhat important? I do. It's incredibly important. He even ends the letter, verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's praying for grace, praying for grace that it would be with them. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. Here it is again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's prayers for their grace and their peace. Look at verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you. Now, you might be saying, that's a hyperbole. Come on, Paul. I mean, you can't always be praying for them. I think he's saying, always when I pray, I'm always praying for you, for all the churches, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power And for what purpose? So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is amazing. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. Here's another kind of of prayer. It looks almost like a benediction. Sounds like it. Verse 16 of chapter 2, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. That's his prayer for them. I mean, what a prayer warrior on the Thessalonians' behalf. You wouldn't particularly want or need or covet someone praying for you like that, would you? 
can't imagine being one of the Thessalonians and having Paul pray for me, perhaps even individually, perhaps by name. What a wonderful thing that would be. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So he's praying for the word and for gospel fruit. And then he says in verse 2, very intently, and that we may be be delivered from wicked and evil men. That's practical, isn't it? Pray that the word would spread, that it would be honored, that it would speed ahead just as it did with you. And oh, by the way, please pray for us that we'd be delivered from all of these wicked and evil men who don't like the gospel message. How about verse 16 of chapter 3? Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all And then the very last verse again, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. What a praying pastor Paul was. I mean, I'm so humbled by this. Not only the privilege of of, of being your pastor, and I know Chris Brunziel would say the same thing, Not, not only the privilege of being shepherds to you, but of your prayers for me. It's amazing. I called Skogie Baker yesterday on the phone. She's been really going through a difficult time. Hospitalization, one of our members. She spoke to us and she said, I just want you to know Larry's in the hospital, my husband. So now Larry's there. He's sort of taking up her spot now. He's got a blood clot and so he's there, and I called him, and when I was talking to Skogie on the phone, she just said, hey, I want you to know before we hang up, because I prayed with her, prayed with Larry. She said, I want you to know I've got a, just a dear friend in another state. She doesn't even know Beth. She doesn't know you. She doesn't know your family. But I've been telling her about Beth and her needs for prayer for this cancer battle. And she and I talk several times a week. She's sort of my best friend, and she said that there's probably not a conversation that goes by that she doesn't ask, now, how's Beth Quinn doing? She doesn't even know my wife, but there's this privilege of praying for others. I mean, no wonder Paul the pastor, who's so enthralled by the good work that God is doing in the lives of these Thessalonians, that he says, you've been imitators of us. And you know what I take away from that? Part of that, if not the major part of that, is the imitation on the part of the Thessalonians regarding their prayer life and how they are praying for Paul. Because they're imitating him and his powerful prayer life. I mean, it, it, it actually says this. You became an example. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for Thessalonians 1.6. You, you became an example, verse 7, of all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And I think right at the top of that list is an example and a mimicking and an imitating of Paul's own pastoral prayer life. We, we want to pray like Paul. We want to pray with Paul. We want to pray 
for Paul. We want to pray the way Paul prays. Oh, and by the way, I skipped one of them, which is our own text for the morning. I couldn't give it away that early. Notice chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, First Thessalonians. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a prayer. What a prayer. Verse 1, Paul and his ministry companions, Silvanus, Silas, Timothy, they're mentioned here in verse 1, and I assume that means they are also praying pastors, praying leaders, praying shepherds, praying missionaries, whatever designation. They're, they're praying. They're praying with Paul. They're praying like Paul. So they've got at least three among them who are praying. And now they're sending this letter via Timothy, Paul's second missionary journey, and now they're reading of Paul saying that he's praying for them. And Silas and Timothy. And what what do they pray? Well, here's the main verbal idea of those three verses. It's the first three words in our English text of the ESV in verse 2. We give thanks. That's it. That's the... uh, That's the energy of their prayer. That's the command that he's going to later give them to give thanks in everything, every circumstance. So he says, we give thanks. And then there are some participles that sort of uh, substantiate that, that move in the action category from that main verb, we give thanks, And it is this. Do you see the word mentioning in verse 2? Mentioning. And then in verse 3, remembering. And even though we'll catch this next time, verse 4, for we know or knowing. Three participles that give an explanation, give a, a kind of launch into what Paul means when he says we give thanks. We give thanks by mentioning you to the Lord. We give thanks by remembering you and your Christian virtues to the Lord. And we are knowing as we give thanks that God has chosen you. This is is amazing. And what Paul is doing, my friends, is that he's modeling with Silvanus and with Timothy how to teach them and show them through his life how to faithfully pray for fellow Christians. That's, that's unmistakable. I mean, yes, we're, we're catching it here. And you and I might be in our Bible reading plan and we're getting now maybe toward the end of 
the New Testament and we're working our way through it. Maybe this is uh, September or October for us and we're working our way through the year and we're reading in our Bibles and we're reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Yeah, 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 yeah. Day uh, 332, done, done. But I'd like to ask us to pause. Put on the brakes and let's think about this. And let's think about this not with just regarding black words on a white page, but the import of them, meditating on the reality of these words and what meaning they convey especially regarding prayer and especially regarding the prayer life of our own church. Because if there's anything to apply from a Pauline epistle, a letter, it starts at the beginning and it usually starts with this matter of prayer, how he's praying. And so I looked at this and I looked at this hard and I looked at this meditatively and I read and I pondered and I I kept thinking about prayer and Paul and the Thessalonians and all that they were going through and the the hurt that they were receiving by others and and all of their needs and their coming out of paganism into Christianity and both Jew and Gentile and how they're supposed to get along. And you're, you're starting to breathe the air of why Paul is praying as he does. And then, of course, I can't help it, but I then think of our church and our ministry our impact, our lives. And it just seems to me that there are two major realities going on here. So if you've got a pen and you want to write this down, here are those two things. These are the broad categories now of this morning. And they are this, internal motivations, internal motivations for the prayer, the person who's praying. You've got to have some internal motivations to pray, right? You've got to get the juices going. You got to get the engine revved up. So you got to have some internal motivations to pray for others, to, to know how to pray for fellow Christians. And then secondly, external marks of the prayee, the person you're praying for. Uh, what are you seeing about their life? Uh, what is it about them and how they're living the Christian life that actually helps you in your own personal motivation before the Lord to pray effectively for them? You want to pray effectively for people, right? You want to pray for your own husband, your own wife, your own children. You want to pray for those in the physical domain of your own family's life, but you also want to pray for your spiritual family, and you want to pray effectively, efficaciously, beneficially for them. So how do you do this? And it just came alive. This is, this is how to faithfully pray for fellow Christians. This isn't just Paul doing a Aha, uh-huh, ho-hum, i got to start the letter this way because that's the way they do it in the first century. And i got to end it with the benediction because that's the way they ended it in the first century. Well, that part's true, but he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's, and he's thinking as he's praying and as he's writing, and the Holy Spirit then superintends via the doctrine of inspiration exactly what Paul is writing, but it is so applicable to us. So applicable. So what about these internal motivations for praying for your fellow Christians in this fellowship, in this church? Now, you're praying for people outside this church, but for this church, 
we will only grow, spiritually speaking, whether it's greater numerical growth or not. That's immaterial to what I'm saying. We're praying for each other, and we're praying for this church, and we're praying for this ministry and its impact as we listen to Paul and how he does it. Remember that little series that we did with D.A. Carson called Praying with Paul? This is what we're doing. This We're praying with Paul. And, and he had to have some internal motivations, and I see three of them here. I see three internal motivations. And when I see the first one, it comes right out of the text. And, and what that is, of course, is under the banner of that verbal idea. We give thanks. We give thanks. Now, how are you and I going to be spiritually motivated for faithful praying toward those around us? How are we going to have the right spiritual motivations for that kind of praying? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, well, just give thanks. Give thanks. That's what you're supposed to do. So do it. Give thanks. Well, when you're praying like that and you say, thank you, Lord, then perhaps you're like me at times. I'm uh, immediately stumped. Okay, well, I, I, I prayed that. I prayed. So what do I pray now? Well, notice what Paul does. Look at the latter part of verse 1 again. Listen to that prayer wish. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. I believe that's the first principle of the spiritual motivation for yours and my faithful praying for others in this fellowship. It's the undisputed fact that Paul is totally committed to asking God to grant God's people, you, his people, continued favor and blessing. Now, that's tangible. I can, I can wrap my arms around that. You see, that's just not a sort of a introductory throwaway phrase, I've concluded my Bible reading for today. This is, this is something like this. I'm praying for you that God would grant you His favor. His favor. We have, uh, we have a membership here. And in that membership, we have names, sometimes even pictures. We're trying to get more pictures. We've got names. We've got people, couples, singles. The list goes on and on and on. And the elders have this list. Here's a printout, not just with the pictures, but just names. It's uh, very helpful to pray for favor for you by name, by single person, by couple. Pray grace and favor. I can be really motivated to do that. And peace, peace. What kind of peace? Well, there's, there's really two that the Bible, I think, accentuates, especially in the New Testament, for this word peace. One is the absence of hostility. That's what peace is. It's the absence of hostility. And that one, for us, as genuine believers, has been taken care of because God is now no longer an enemy of ours, and we Him. He's granted us peace through Christ, right? And he's mentioned there to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and immediately, grace to you and peace. That's a, a, a peace that you and I have already experienced. So what do you do? You pray by giving thanks to God that you have that peace, peace in Christ. 
No longer a hostility between you and God. No, no longer is, is he an enemy to you or you to him. You have peace. And I think it's also a kind of peace that might be more subjective, and that is the peace of our unity together. The peace of our unity together. So this is amazing. He, he starts and ends most of his letters with this kind of prayer wish to God for fellow believers to be given these two things, great measures of favor and peace or wholeness. It's actually derived, if you think about it from the Old Testament, shalom. This is a, this is a way of asking God for the wholeness of our unity together, the wholeness of your life, your individual life, your physical life, the absence of hostility in the church. This is... This is incredibly important, my friends. This is not just a grace and peace to you. Grace and peace. It's I'm praying, this is, this is Paul now, I'm praying that God will give each and every one of you His divine favor each and every day of your life. We call it sustaining grace. Sustaining grace. Oh, we praise God for salvation grace. We, we praise God for justifying grace. But we also ought to be praying for each other that God would continue to give us His sustaining grace in our lives. Sustaining grace. And peace. And, and by the way, according to verse 1, this unity, and if you want to know a key spiritual motivation for this idea of how do I keep my prayer life up to a fever pitch, if it's in one word, it's this unity, unity, peaceful, gracious unity. That's, that's the first spiritual motivator, peaceful, gracious unity. How do I know that? Look back at the text of verse 1. They are the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, every word of God is so important, and do you see that little that little word in, in, in God the Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our union with the triune God, our union. That means that we as a family of God, members of this fellowship, are in vital union with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, unnamed here, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're in union with them, and that's, of course, where we derive even the concept of our unity, spiritual unity. No wonder Paul's praying that. No wonder he's spiritually motivated with this sort of internal drive that when you're sleepy and tired or when you're running for your life or when it's late night, early morning, or when you've got a thousand other things that are on your mind, you are nevertheless spiritually motivated to wake up, to do what you need to do, to be so inclined toward a group of people like Bethany Bible Church that you and I are praying for unity as a spiritual motivator because you know Satan is real. You know that he will do everything he can to attack us and to dislodge us from such a unity. No wonder then Paul prays that we have to work so hard at maintaining the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because it's a fight. It even sounds strange. Fight with all your might to maintain unity. This is what he's praying for. 
Here's the first principle then, the internal prayer life of every individual believer and toward each and every other believer within the fellowship, Bethany Bible Church, is rooted by an internal motivation to pray for multiplied grace and peace because of our sweet union with the Father and the Son. This is, this is where it all begins. We give manifest thanks to God for this incredible bestowal of favor and grace and peace upon us. And we're praying that God would continue to, to ever deepen the rootedness of our grace and peace. That's what we're praying. Start praying that. If you haven't prayed it, maybe you're not using the same words that, that I'm using, but you pray, write down, I'm praying for grace and peace for this fellowship. I'm the prayer, and I'm praying for the prayees, for everybody else. In a word, I'm praying God will continue by His gracious and peaceful unity among us that we would continue to be spiritually motivated to pray in this way. Flocks groups, individual Bible studies, men's, women's, children's ministry, discipleship, Titus 2, that we're praying for grace and peace. That's a vital principle. And just think, we could have just read grace and peace and moved on to the next verse. Slow down. Think about it. Meditate. Here's the second principle of our internal motivation. In a word, let's call it selflessness. If the first one is unity, the second one is this, selflessness. Selflessness. Look at verse 2. We, you see that there? We give thanks. We give thanks to God always for all of you. We, you. Who's we? Well, it has to be Paul and Silas and Timothy, right? It has to be them. They're, they're at the head verse, verse 1. We, we give thanks to God for all of you. So there's a kind of selflessness in this. Because we read those verses last week from Acts 16 and Acts 17, and they're, they're planting this church in Thessalonica, and they're planting the church in Philippi, and then Paul says, and we got run out of town, and, and these guys are actually wanting to put me to death. I mean, I think I'd probably be thinking more about myself and, and, and running, literally, than I would be these people. But he says, we give thanks to God always for you. This is Paul. This is his heart. No wonder he has a spiritual motivation to pray for them because he's thinking more about the you than he is the me. That could really help you. I think that could really help you. You don't have to turn there, but this is, this is Paul's whole life, my friends. This is, that's, why, that's why I love this man. And I've never met him, but I love him because this is what he says about himself. He says in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, you can just write this down, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, uh, for instance, uh, verse 24 of that chapter, 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one, because commonly 40 lashes would have meant death. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. How about that as a calling for your ministry? Verse 28. And, and, and Paul, he, he, he enumerates it, but then he almost, in a sense, in a blithing kind of way, just says, verse 28, and apart from other things, well, those are, those are hideous. Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And, and, he's, and he's a mere man. He's not a god. He's not divine. He's just like us. That's why he's a great model. And then he says, the Lord, you know, gave me in chapter 12 this thorn in my flesh. And he says, to keep me from being conceited. Look, if there's anything I would assume about Paul, it's, that ain't it. But he's like us. And that's who he is. He says in Acts 20, I do not, beginning of verse 19, I do not count my life as dear to myself. I don't see in my life anything of value when it comes to completing my ministry. This is, um, this is a kind of selflessness, a kind of other-centeredness that I think makes one very powerful in prayer. Now, it's not wrong to, play, to pray for yourself. not wrong to do that at all. But if, by percentages, your prayers are more about yourself, for yourself, from yourself, to yourself, with God there, something's wrong with the percentages. Spend more time as a spiritual motivator in selflessness in praying for those church members, fellow Christians around you. And you'll watch your spiritual life hit zenith proportions. Why? Because you're being selfless. That's a, that's a huge internal motivation. And that's what he said. We give thanks to God always for all of you. We, my brothers in ministry, and it's for you. Huge. Unity, selflessness, third. Let's call it regularity. Regularity. This is, this is amazing. Notice what he says at the end of verse 2. Constantly or unceasingly mentioning you in our prayers. No misprint. Constantly. This is, this is what he's saying. We give thanks mentioning you constantly in our prayers. If you see that ESV marginal note, alternate translation, without ceasing, I just call it regularity. Regularly praying. It's constant. It's unceasing. Now you say, well, really, I mean, is this, again, more hyperbole? How can you really say, how can anybody truly say, 
even though, of course, Paul is saying it and he's doing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a lie. It's true. But what does he mean by constantly? Well, it could mean this. You remember, there were certain sets of a day, every day, any day, in which the Jews, of course, would go to the synagogue to pray, right? So maybe Paul's saying, you know, when, when those prayer times are convening, it would make sense then that the church of the living Lord Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, would devote these seasons of the day to prayer for their fellow believers. I think that's probably what's behind Acts 2.42, where it says, here's what we're doing, and it gives a list, and one of those is the prayers, plural. So that's, that's legitimate. That's, that's very possible. Or it could be that Or it could be this, Paul may be referring to times when he was simply motivated internally in his heart because of his knowledge of all these churches, the daily pressure of the churches to pray for the churches with which he'd had contact and he used all of his experiences with them as what I call a mechanism of reminder. A mechanism of reminder. What is that? list of churches. I've just shown you. list of members in our church. Names. Addresses, phone numbers, hearts, hearts behind every phone number, right? We, we, we have each other. I'm the prayer, you're the prayee. You're the prayer, you pray for me, I'm the prayee. This is, this is Paul, Sylvanus, Timothy reminding each other. Maybe it was the accountability of these fellow brothers with each other. Hey, Paul, we need to pray today for the Thessalonian believers. Let's pray. Hey, Sylvanus. Don't forget, we need to pray for so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so in the church, in Thessalonica. We need to pray for them, and we need to pray for grace and peace, and we need to pray how grateful we are to our God that these brothers and sisters have come out of paganism, into the fellowship, into the church, into the Lord Jesus Christ, into God the Father, and this blessed unity, and we need to pray that all of those people who are against them, maybe their own families, maybe the ostracizing of their families regarding them, and maybe even those pesky, alienating Jews who don't want any of this happening, they don't like the way, they don't like Christianity, boy, we got to pray for them, and we got to pray with them for them with regularity. Regularity. So I say, how often do you pray for others in our church? Regularly? Sporadically? Seldomly? Never. Boy, we've got a we got a missile. We got some arsenal against spiritual attack, don't we? Prayer. We can go right into the throne room of God the Father. And by the way, we have the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, Romans 8. And we have, according to Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus, who is the great high priest, who is ever living to make intercession for us. And we have the pattern of Paul and his prayers so that we can learn and grow. Boy, unity, selflessness, and regularity. I see all that there. Do you see it? Yes, it's there. We give thanks, and it's all based upon giving thanks. How about the next one? Not just an internal motivator, but how how about external marks? This This is incredible. So you've got spiritual motivations that you have to have as you're praying, 
And then when you're looking at those you're praying for, what do you look for when you pray specifically for them? What, what do you look for when you pray very specifically to them? Well, they can give you prayer requests. There's, there's not a problem with that at all. Physical, no, no problem in terms of logistical, family needs, financial needs, car needs, help with this, help with that, practical needs, nothing wrong with that at all, and we should pray for those things. But those things are not as important in the long run, in the final analysis in the main, as the spiritual marks of Christian virtue. Christian virtue. And those are the external marks. You don't know, you want to see what they are? Look at verse 3. Remembering. That's a key word there. Mentioning, verse 2. Remembering, verse 3. What do you remember? Here's the first one. We're remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your work of faith. Now, this could be interpreted grammatically in a couple of different ways. I've chosen to see it in context and with the allowance of grammar to see it this way. Here's the way I would translate it. Your faith which produces work. Your faith which produces work. That's what Paul is specifically praying by way of remembrance of the Thessalonians. Your work is actually being produced by this ever-growing faith that you have in Christ. That's what I believe he's saying. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. And I'll show you why I think that's the case. Look at verse 8 of this chapter. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but notice this, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Boy, would that be great for someone to say that about Bethany Bible Church. Wow! Look at chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God, here's another prayer, and we do it constantly, and it is for this, here's how you can pray for fellow Christians, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, and then what's the next word? Believers. Faith. Faithful ones. You know what you do? You just track with Paul through First and Second Thessalonians, and you read every place where he either says explicitly or implicitly the concept of faith. And then you're finding out, oh, I get it. Paul is talking about the faith that they have in Jesus Christ that's ever-growing, ever-deepening. It's so rooted and grounded in the cross of Jesus Christ that it is actually motivating them to work. Why is it hard for us to sometimes raise a hand and volunteer for service? This is, this is what he's talking about. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. Why? Because when your faith is rooted and grounded and established and growing, you want to do work for the kingdom. Had lunch with a fellow who's attending our church now. And he says, I'm, I'm in my, my business, and I'm doing that, but I have this burning desire to be in ministry, full-time if possible. 
Could it be that God is working uh, the, the needing of, uh, of a, a, an ever-growing faith so that that person says, I'm constrained unless I do this full-time? Perhaps. It won't be that way for the most of us, but perhaps that's what the Lord is doing. Look at verse 6 of that same chapter. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith. And then he can't help himself. He's got another triad in chapter 5, verse 8, this faith, hope, and love idea. Chapter 5, verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith, love, hope. There's faith again. There it is. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you If you want to know how to pray for fellow believers, here it is, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. What do you want? You want to work for the kingdom? You say, well, I got my job. Yeah, I got my family. Yeah. Besides that, which are incredibly important, do everything you can with the rest of your life to do faithful work because faith produces work, produces work for the kingdom. And what does it do? It just causes Paul to say, thank you, God. I give many thanks to you because these Thessalonians, they get it. They understand it. And not just that. That's only the first one. Look at the next one, your love which prompts labor. Remembering before our God and Father your labor of love. Not just that your faith produces work, but your love prompts labor. That's what it does. It prompts it. You want to be busy for the Lord. You say, is there any difference between these two words? They're different actually in the Greek text. Your faith produces work and your love prompts labor. Not really. Two different words. A little bit of gradation or nuance of difference, but really it's, it's just the love which prompts you and me to want to labor for the Lord. Look at chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. There it is. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Why? Because we love you. And we know that you love us and that love just prompts more labor, more labor. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's given us a great report, and he's brought us the good news of your faith and your love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Boy, there was a relationship there between Paul and these people that I envy. We love you guys, and you love us. That's why we do what we do together. This is huge. Verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Abound in love. This is is what they're to do. Look at chapter 4, verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love, I love this. 
This is fantastic. My, probably my, maybe my favorite verse in the whole epistle. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Which, of course, Paul is writing to them. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing. You're doing it to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, this is why he's writing it, we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Your Bible may say to excel still more. To excel still more. Hey, I know that you're loving each other. The prayers are loving the prayees because they're praying for the prayees. That's a, that's a form of love, isn't it? and work, and work of faith, and evangelism, and the gospel, and gospel witnessing. This is incredible. That's why 2 Thessalonians 2, 13, don't turn there, but it just says every good work and word. Every good work. It's a labor of love. I mean, don't tell anybody, but even if you didn't pay me, I'd still be doing this. Don't, don't mention it to anybody. Because it's in my bones. I don't do this. I don't do anything else because I can't. I'm not good at anything else. This is, this is what I do, and it's what I've been put on the earth to do. And this is, this is God's Word, and it's, and it's the love of the brethren, and it's greater and ever maturing love, which prompts more and more labor. That's what he says he remembers, and when he remembers that, he says, thanks be to God. And then the last one, and finally, your hope which propels endurance. He says, your hope, your steadfast hope, it propels endurance, steadfastness, stick to Why? Because that's what hope does. I don't see the finish line. I don't see when my end will come, and, and I've got some some brothers and sisters who've already died, and I'm concerned about where they are and what's happening to them, but I know this, that I've been given a hope, and that hope will allow me, even in the times of most severe criticism, and people are running after me with an axe, I will remain steadfast. Steadfast. That's what he says. Chapter 2, verse 14 He says, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. That means that the Gentiles were after them, and they suffered the same things that the the Jews were doing to the believing Christian Jews. Wow. So why didn't you just pack it in? Why didn't you just say, hey, we're done. Look, I'm not into this. I didn't sign up for this. I want the fire insurance. I want to go to heaven. But the suffering part, no, sir. No, they know it's part of it. Suffering, then glory. Suffering, then glory. I mean, Paul thanked them for their steadfastness, their enduring hope. And that's what hope does. It propels endurance. You, you, you put up with it. You, you endure it because you've got your eye on the prize. And even if they cut your head off, you'll be instantly in glory. This is, this is amazing. I, I, I want this kind of faith. And, and the way you achieve this in part, not only your own work, your own motivation, 
but that others are praying for you to do this. That's why we have a Sunday night service, 6 o'clock, have great preaching, acts, and then we gather together as a church to pray. It's actually growing. I shouldn't be surprised. We've got 30, 40, 50 people. We should have 200. We should have as many people as are here. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? Are you, like, just sitting at home? Come and join us. Pray. Chief means of grace. Have people pray for faith and for love and for hope for you. And you, in turn, pray for them with faith, by faith, for increasing faith, for love uh, that prompts the labor that gets the work done in the ministry. We, we had a, a sign-up. I think it was women's ministry, sign up for child care. We, we keep banging the drum. We keep banging the drum. We have sign-ups for other things, children's ministry workers. How many times have we heard that? There should be people leaving the service and finding someone who's in charge of that and saying, sign me up. Sign me up. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. Because you know that there are people who are actually missing this service that you enjoy because there are not enough workers who are doing it, so they have to do it more than just once a month. Trade with them. You do it. You say, that's not my giftedness. I don't even know what that means. I I, I really don't even know what that means. Because spiritual giftedness is a bad title. You know what it really is by way of the exegetical nuance of the Greek text in those passages? Spiritual ministries. Gifts, that's too much of an emphasis on you. It's whatever ministry is available, you do it. You say, Lance, you couldn't swing a hammer if your life depended on it. No, I can't, but I could pray for hammerers. <laughs> and I can go there and I can say, here's some more nails. And it's, it's, it's what we're talking about here. It's unity and selflessness and regularity. That's my motivation to be the prayer. And the prayers just bask in the unity and the selflessness and the regularity. And in turn, when I pray for them, I pray for them a kind of faith and a love and a hope that works and labors and propels me into a kind of endurance that I say to those who are praying for me in that regard, it's going to take me all eternity to thank you for how you prayed for me. My wife heard Skokie Baker say, this woman doesn't even know you. My wife just burst into tears. Somebody who doesn't even know you but is praying regularly for you? I got an email just before this morning service. Brother, I went to university with you, remember, years ago. And I'm here in my church with my Sunday school class Give me the latest report on Beth because we're continuing to pray for her each and every Lord's Day. How could I thank those people for all eternity? I suppose that's why it's eternity. Because we're going to be praising our God forever and ever and ever for what He's doing. Isn't that true? 
come tonight at 6 o'clock. This is no guilt trip. This is reality. Our church can be, will be, must be transformed through the Word of God and prayer. Let's pray together. Father, may it be so. Oh, may it be so. That if I've got a spiritual motivation to pray with unity and selflessness and regularity, oh, I want to pray for someone, someone's to use such unity and selflessness and regularity to pray for their souls and for their lives and for their children and for their work and for their faith and their love and their hope. Oh, I want to pray for them so that they would be lifted up. And I want to be prayed for. I want people to pray that my faith would provide more work and that my love would prompt more labor and my hope would propel greater endurance in my life all the way to the end. Oh, Father, please make Bethany Bible Church such a praying people that we have to tell them even in our corporate praying on Sunday nights, please leave the building. Everybody needs to go home. Oh, Father, bring a spiritual awakening in this place by the chief means of the Word of God and prayer. The exaltation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and through Him to the Father by the Spirit, We ask for these things. Amen.